Welcome to Flight Talk with Dave and Jeff, brought to you by Strategic Results. Today, retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonels Dave and Jeff will talk about how complacency is a common but dangerous mindset, especially in aviation. Dave and Jeff both served in the Air Force and are now working as aviation safety advisors for the Air National Guard. Jeff will first introduce an innocent story about when he was called out for his complacency by his students. Hi, I'm Jeff. I got a, a story to relay that really doesn't relate to aviation, but it ties back to the topic of uh, complacency. Uh, I used to teach uh, flight safety, uh, mishap investigation to international flight safety officers. I was in class one day and I probably had 30 students and they're probably representing 25 different countries and it's midway through the morning and we're having a discussion about mishap investigations and one of the students puts his hand up so I call on him. Very nonchalantly, he says, your shoes are different. And, <laughs> and I look down and yep, sure enough, they are different. And here I thought he was going to ask a, a question about that investigation and he pointed out my shoes were different. So we started having a discussion in class about that and I, I tried to tie that back to, all right, let's figure out how this happened. Let, let's investigate this. <laughs> and we walked back through the steps, and I'd gotten up that morning to get dressed. I didn't want to turn the lights on because I didn't want to wake my wife, so I, I grabbed shoes, put them on. They, they didn't feel different from each other. I went to work and never looked down. So when this came up and we were discussing it, we decided that I had become complacent when I was getting dressed. But I asked the group, I go, okay, so what's the cause of this mishap? And the same student who pointed out that I had the incorrect shoes on said, you are stupid. And I went, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's probably pretty close. But I, I think complacency with getting dressed this morning may have had something to do with it. Um, so when we talk about complacency, basically the definition is a factor when an individual has a false sense of security, is unaware of or ignores hazards or is inattentive to the risk. And I think the risk that day was having the students point out that my shoes were different. Dave, you got any uh, stories that are a little more modern or, or unrelated to shoes being different? I sure do, Jeff. Hi, I'm Dave. I can think of an event where complacency could have been a killer. Uh, in the Air Force as well as with an airline or corporate aviation, you're given an airplane and along with that, complete responsibility for it. One of the airplanes I flew for the Air Force was the C-5, a very, very large aircraft. And typically we had 73 passengers and millions of dollars worth of cargo in the airplane itself, which was valued in the 360 million or so dollar range at the time. Uh, and I wonder, you know, do you have the right to let yourself get complacent with all that responsibility on your shoulders? And uh, preventing complacency is sort of an inherently difficult task uh, because a pilot can sometimes be complacent uh, without even being aware of it. Uh, consider the North Atlantic, flying the North Atlantic. Air traffic is very heavy every single night from North America to Europe, and it's uh, equally heavy during the day from Europe uh, coming back to North America. Uh, each flight is assigned a route, usually called a track, an altitude, and a Mach number, which is sort of a speed. And this procedure works very well. It provides adequate separation between all aircraft over the North Atlantic. A uh, typical route would consist of uh, consecutive uh, waypoints uh, expressed in terms of degrees of latitude and longitude. 
For instance, uh, 50 north, 40 west means 50 degrees north latitude, 40 degrees west longitude, and that's called a waypoint. The next waypoint may be 55 north, 30 west, and then 55 north, uh, 20 west as you proceed eastbound across the North Atlantic towards Europe. This continues until you're in radar contact with an air traffic controller. Uh, and each one of these waypoints uh, requires a position report, which we transmitted in those days on the high frequency radio. So the air traffic controllers could monitor each and every flight as they cross the ocean. Today they have something called a controller pilot data link communication, something I didn't get to use, but uh, it's known as a CPDLC, which automatically makes those position reports for you. But you have to be at the ready to use the radio in the event that the equipment doesn't work. So each time you report your position, you're supposed to go ahead and make sure that the next waypoint is correctly loaded into your flight management system so you'll stay on the, your, your assigned uh, route. When I started to fly the North Atlantic, especially when I was uh, an aircraft commander, uh, I was taught to be continuously wary of uh, anything that might have gone wrong at any, at any time. Now, one of our fellow crews uh, was flying back westbound from a European location crossing the North Atlantic towards North America one, one afternoon. And they were issued a, a, a routing change uh, by the air traffic controller. Now, that's not uncommon, uh, but what, when that happens, uh, you're supposed to enter the correct waypoints, the newly assigned waypoints, into your flight management system, which uh, the, I guess they thought they did. But after, after several hours of flight, and this could be a very long flight, uh, they began to conduct uh, tours of the flight deck, uh, which is also not uncommon for the 73 passengers, who can get pretty bored back there in the, in the passenger compartment. One of the crew members will lead them through the cargo compartment up to the flight deck for a tour. In this, uh, in this case, the pilots had become pretty complacent without even realizing it because uh, as the flight deck tour continued and they approached uh, the Canadian coastline, they checked in with the, the VF, VHF frequency with the Canadian air traffic controller and reported what they thought was their position. And the Canadian air traffic controller finally identified them uh, 60 miles north of their assigned route. They had failed to correctly enter the last waypoint of their amended route and were off by one degree of latitude, which is about 60 nautical miles. And had another aircraft uh, correctly flying its assigned route arrived at that position at the same time, the result could have been disastrous. It could have been a mid-air collision. Well, they cleared the flight deck and they proceeded to their destination with a brand new diligence and lost all the complacency that they had. And complacency is one of those things that's alive and well today as it was during the earliest days of aviation. You can't really afford to let your guard down with that amount of responsibility on your shoulders. Hey Dave, uh, your uh, C5 passengers must have been a lot more polite than our uh, KC-135 because we were doing a overwater flight and we had some, some passengers up in the cockpit and it's 06 and his wife and I'm a co-pilot. And the lady goes, so what does everybody do? And the, uh, the colonel points to the pilot and he goes, he's the pilot. He flies the airplane. And then he points over to the navigator because we had navigators back in the day. And he says, that's a navigator. He tells the airplane where to go. And then he points at the boom operator who's sitting in his seat. And he says, that's the boom operator. He does the air refueling. And she says, what about, he says, what about that other guy? He goes, he's the co-pilot. He doesn't do anything. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, why don't you just hand me my box lunch and, and let me go about my business. <laughs> Complacency is often an unexpected state. Jeff will now share a story about a time his student failed to double check due to complacency. 
But you know, Dave's right. There's no light that comes on that tells you when you're when you're being complacent. A story that was relayed to me. Of, of course, it didn't happen to me, but it was relayed to me when this person was a, a T38 student flying uh, an ILS approach um, in UT uh -huh. under the bag, um, uh -huh. following the command bars on uh, to fly the ILS for the uh, for the uh, glide slope and the localizer. And I'm just dutifully following these. And before too long, as we're coming down the approach, my instructor says, not my instructor, this other person who was telling the story, the instructor, it says these spine tingling words, where are we going? And I've just been <laughs> dutifully following the command bars. And man, I am locked and, and I am on center line and I am on the glide slope. And he goes, pull the bag back and look to the left. And there's the runway heading off at about a 45 degree angle. And I realized I hadn't been cross-checking anything other than the command bars. So it was a little bit early example of automation complacency. You know, it, you know, kind of a, a failure to monitor the magic. And uh, this student learned a lot <clears throat> from that as far as uh, situational awareness goes and bringing a lot of things into the cross-check and <clears throat> never assuming that something is okay without thoroughly checking it. So, lesson learned. Yeah, good point. Fatigue is something that almost everyone experiences from working. However, as a pilot, it can be a dangerous state that leads to complacency. They will now talk about how fatigue affected a personal flying experience during the Gulf War. One thing that can lead to uh, complacency is fatigue. Uh, I remember the first uh, Gulf War from 1990 to 1991. It started off with an operation called Desert Shield, which was designed primarily to fortify areas of the Middle East to prevent any further aggression by the Iraqis, who had just invaded and overrun their, their neighbor country, Kuwait. Um, later on, when the fighting started, uh, the operation was called uh, Desert Storm. For flight crews, operations Desert Shield and Desert Storm involved 24-hour workdays, very long workdays. We would normally fly to Europe and the next day would show up to fly to a destination, usually somewhere in the Middle East. It took about four hours to get the airplane refueled and checked out and airborne, and then another seven or eight hours to get downrange to, a, to the Middle Eastern uh, destination, and then another four hours or so for people to remove the cargo and refuel the airplane. Then we'd have another eight or nine hours to get back to Europe. So once again, it's a very long day. Now the airplane's got three bunk rooms in it, uh, each of which has three beds, but I was never able to sleep very well on a C-5 myself. Uh, I remember after one of those 24-hour work days, I was the aircraft commander. We landed back in Europe. In the middle of the night, after a long, successful day, starting to relax, I taxied into a parking spot, and we prepared to shut down the engines. And here's where I got ahead of my co-pilot, and I read off the first three items on the after-landing checklist from memory. Brake switch emergency, parking brake set, scanner cleared to depart airplane. The scanner was one of the flight engineers who would monitor the engine shutdown while standing outside of the airplane near the front of the airplane. And I just said those things from memory. Uh, the co-pilot didn't actually place the brake switch into the emergency position. He was still looking for his checklist. And I went ahead and got ahead of him. And a minute later when the flight engineer performed a hydraulic check, all the hydraulic systems are turned off and we didn't have any brakes. And the airplane started to roll in the middle of the night. And the scanner outside fortunately said, you're rolling. And uh, the flight engineer gave us back the hydraulic systems. The airplane stopped on a dime. 
So the, the, the point here is I got ahead of my checklist after a long, successful day, and I got a little bit too relaxed. And uh, the moral is you just can't let your guard down until all the engines are shut down and you're off the airplane. And that was a lesson learned that I never made. That's a mistake I never made again. Sometimes, overconfidence in another individual can lead to complacency. Jeff will now share an experience with a student when he was an instructor pilot. Yeah, you know, and, and speaking of letting your guard down, especially for instructor pilots, you've all heard the, hey, it's the good student that's going to get you in trouble. And and I had, a, when I was a T-37 instructor at a at Williams Air Force Base, which is like long since closed, uh, I had a student who was just outstanding. I mean, I knew this kid was going to sail through T-37s. He was going to sail through T-38s and go off to the assignment of, of, of his choice. And we're in the pattern one day and did a low approach and it's time to turn crosswind. He's flying. Now, to put this in context, this is back when the movie Top Gun was out and very popular. So that'll, uh, that'll date me as far as my, my T-37 instruction goes. But he, when he goes to turn crosswind, he gets very aggressive. Um, he snap rolls the airplane into 135 degrees of bank and starts to pull. And he says, Yahoo, Jester's dead. And I said, he's got just a second to make this right, or I'm taking the jet. And of course, in that split second where nothing good happened, I took the jet, kind of did a, a like a, a reversal using some rudder to get the airplane back upright. And now we're pointed straight down, at, not straight, but about a 45 degree angle at the ground towards the golf course. And all these golfers are looking up at us, heading towards them. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> They need to get out of the way because I need a place to crash. And we, we managed to recover, obviously, before we hit the ground because I'm here to tell the story. But complacency with a good student can also get you killed. So, you know, never assume, even like I say, with a good student, that everything they're going to do is going to be correct. Because, again, I got complacent, assumed this kid was moving right along and... It was the only unsat, the uh, unsatisfactory ride the kid had all the way through UPT. But mm -hmm. uh, if you ever hear a student yell, Yahoo, Jester's dead, uh, he's <laughs> either stuck in the past or trying to kill you, one or the other. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that before, where uh, he's a really particularly sharp, competent pilot, and people just relax, you know, we're in really good hands here. Yeah. In the past, flying through Central America required more preparation and knowledge of the terrain and landscape. Dave will explain how the Air Force used to manage risk when flying through these areas. My career has uh, all been in uh, crew airplanes, airplanes that have more than one person, like a pilot, co-pilot, flight engineer, navigator, loadmaster, and so forth. And we learned early, early on, way back in the day, to back one another up. No matter how sharp you know another crew member is, anyone is capable of becoming complacent and it's susceptible to human error, which is uh, inevitable and it's universal. I remember, I remember back in the days when we flew the Hercules, the C-130, uh, a four-engine turboprop airplane, uh, for two weeks at a time, uh, uh, two weeks at a time to Central America. Uh, we'd first fly into the Republic of Panama and then from Panama, we would fly up country to other Central American countries like Nicaragua, Honduras, Costa Rica, El Salvador, in fact, everyone besides Belize. Uh, we weren't flying in a radar pattern like you do across the United States, uh, and we weren't flying into 11,400 foot runways like the homes, the one at my home station in Massachusetts. 
We're flying in a non-radar environment, which is a lot more challenging because there's a lot of high terrain in Central America, including volcanoes and so forth. And, and the airfields are pretty austere. They can be pretty challenging uh, due to their short uh, runways and, and high terrain uh, in the vicinity of the airport. So you really have to be at the very top of your game. Fortunately, uh, my unit was pretty careful about how they selected crews. They didn't use the term risk management in those days, but that's exactly what they were doing. Uh, they would examine the makeup of all of the eight to 10 crews and decide to put this co-pilot with that pilot, this navigator with that flight engineer, et cetera. The first time I was to fly down there, I was, I was going to be the aircraft commander and I'd never been to Central America in my life. How they managed that risk in this case was, it, it was ingenious in my view. They gave me a co-pilot who didn't have an actual civilian job and all he did was fly for the Air Force Reserve and he'd been flying in Central America for the past six weeks. So they gave me a seasoned co-pilot instead of another co-pilot who hadn't been there uh, in his life either. So they gave me him. Uh, that was a huge help. And they gave me an old head flight engineer, a very experienced flight engineer, uh, who'd been around forever. And the same thing with the navigator, very experienced navigator. And that's how, that's how our leadership managed the risk in those days, even though they didn't use that term. And we got through two weeks of flying into several challenging airports, and we did fine. The risk management on the part of leadership is essential. And you can get complacent if you assume that flying in Central America is the same as flying at your home station in the United States. It is not. It is evidently easy to fall into complacency in aviation. Jeff will explain that complacency is not only common in operations, but also in maintenance. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that complacency can do is, is if you have an operation with an exemplary safety record, let's say, and I'm not going to name the unit, but I was going out to a mishap site and we had to get there via helicopter and we were doing it in uh, one of the units helicopters. And as we walked out the door towards the flight line, I remember looking up just above the door and it said 100,000 mishap free hours. <laughs> and I remember okay. thinking that in my cynical self, I remember thinking, well, that's just great because that means mishaps waiting to happen. Yeah. So, and, and all I would ever take is is one moment of gross complacency to clear that record forever. Now, complacency doesn't only involve ops operations, mm -hmm. but complacency on the maintenance side too. In fact, complacency has been identified as one of the uh, the dirty dozen huh? aircraft maintenance. And the prime example of that, of course, is you know the always working without uh, TOs, working from memory and failure to sign off work after it's completed. So it's not only a, an ops function, but it can become a, a maintenance issue also. Oh, sure. You know, all your experience as a, you know, as a mishap investigator, and my own experience, you know, you've, I've come across that on both sides, from the pilots or, or uh, maintainers. But, 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 but of course, neither one of us has ever been complacent in our careers. Of course not. <laughs> Finally, Jeff will share his thoughts about the nature of complacency, along with a few tips on how to prevent it. So I think that to, to tie this all together, complacency prevention is, is an inherently difficult task. I, you know, I think we can all agree on that. You know, like we mentioned, those are complacent. People who are complacent aren't aware they're complacent sometimes un, until it's too late. Some of the things that we can do are, well, avoid working from memory, uh, use a checklist, 
except of course for uh, for boldface. And like with uh, that student's example with the T38 and the command steering bars, never assume that everything is okay without a, a yeah. thorough check. That student didn't pass that ride, by the way. I uh, heard that from him. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, until next time, Dave. Yeah, uh, Jeff, always a pleasure. Take care. Today, Dave and Jeff shared with us their expertise on the harmful consequences that can result from complacency. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Flight Talk, brought to you by Strategic Results. We hope you enjoyed listening.